I like how like so few people will have the general knowledge of WWE to understand half these jokes. <laughs> <laughs> like they don't even we don't even use Ron Simmons as uh, like you have to actually know who Ron Simmons is. Uh, he's Farouk, by the way, and he <laughs> like I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's uh, that's all I have to say about that. Okay, um, welcome everyone to Page and Screen. Uh, this is a book club for books adapted to movies and a movie club for movies adapted from books. Uh, my name is Calvin De Silva, and it took me too long to get through this book because I had to stop and have cry sessions every once in a while. Hi, I'm Ashton Saborn, and If Bill Street Could Talk is the alternate reality story of The Mandalorian. This is um, Doug Winnipeg, and uh, I can't wait for the sequel. Is it, wait, is this a series? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Jesse Mully, and you should read this book. This episode, we are talking about If Beale Street Could Talk. If Beale Street Could Talk, the novel was written by James Baldwin in 1974. Um, if Beale Street Could Talk, the movie was directed by Barry Jenkins in 2018. Let's get into the novel. It's a story told from the perspective of Clementine, who is a young black girl in, I think, Harlem. In the United yes, States, it was in, Harlem. In New York, right? Uh, so she's recently pregnant um, with her, I guess, fiance's child, who is Alonzo Hunt, nicknamed Fonny. Clementine's nickname is Tish. So Tish is recently impregnated by Fani, but Fani has also been recently charged with charged with a crime that he did not commit. He's been charged with raping a young girl, a crime that he didn't commit, and is now spending time in prison. The novel follows a non-linear format. It jumps between uh, Tish and Fani's past, dating back to when they were children and how they met, to them kind of growing up in New York City, I guess fall, like falling in love over over their coming of age. And it also takes place in, I guess, what is the more present time, which is Tish trying to um, navigate Fani's imprisonment and trying to get him out of prison by talking to lawyers and trying to track down witnesses in his case to prove his innocence. Okay, uh, let's get into it. What did everyone think of this book? It doesn't feel like you're reading a fiction. This is like reading somebody's like testimony and like life experiences you know what i mean it's that's like the like a disheartening thing too because you read this and then to like remember like you can't really even call it a fiction because i can say with certainty these experiences have been uh, have happened before so drawing from um history and what we know it's like oh man this actually happened it's kind of hard to to get through that but um, this book was filled, and I, I'm going to be really cheesy here, but it was filled with like really good human moments. And I think one of my favorite parts is when they're at the Spanish restaurant. And, and that's just like, a, like for me, a little oasis in this harsh desert of reality that this novel gave me. Because you can see that uh, Tish and Fani really do love each other. And that the whole precipice of this novel is based off these two people cannot be separated. And yet they are, and it's just having to, yeah, having to navigate with that. So, 
Um, I really enjoyed the book. Like uh, from the very beginning, I found it entire uh, like entirely engrossing. At no point did I ever feel like the story lagged or anything. It was a really like it, I was very captivated by the story. Um, it's a hard, it's a tough read, obviously for obvious reasons. It's uh, kind of a slap in the face, uh, like of the reality of racial injustice in America and the way it has been for way, way, way too long. But it's a good book, and I think it's a book that everyone should read. It's I strongly recommend it. Yeah, it was good. I quite enjoyed it. Uh, you know what? Actually, this was my favorite book. Well, maybe not favorite. It was the best book I think we've read. I, I really like Anna Green Gables. That might be my favorite book. But this is like right up there. Like everything you guys said was 100% true. Uh, it's just it's a tough book to read. You know the craziest thing about this book? It was written in 1972. But it honestly feels like it was written like two months ago. Like that's yeah. that's that's mm-hmm. the saddest part of this book. That um, these nothing's changed. Yeah, nothing's changed. Like it's it's one of those things where it like if had I looked at it, had it said written in 2020, I'd said oh just some somebody's trying to make a point about modern day uh, with, uh, with black people for America, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I would think if it was written like this year or last year. But that's not the case. This was written in 1972. And so I, I actually, as I was reading it, I kept thinking, man, this must have been written fairly recently. And I'm thinking, no, that's not true. I don't think it was. But I refrained from actually looking at the date of its publication until I finished the book. And then when I looked it up, it was 1972. I'm like, damn, like this is this is like so it's it's terrible the fact that this book makes more sense today than it may than than back then because i think a lot of people back then would have read this book and thought that so much of it was like maybe not false like people would have said oh racism isn't that bad or the cops aren't that bad like like i imagine that if you grew up in a mostly white environment even if you considered yourself woke if uh, to use a current term even if you considered yourself woke and an ally to black people you may have still read this book and considered a lot of it pushed into the realm of pure fiction. But the sad part is, is not only does this book make more sense today than it did all those years ago, but so much of this uncovering of what really happens on the streets of how the justice system treats uh, black Americans, all that stuff is coming to light now. And it feels like this book is, is so topical that it should have it could have been written this year and it and it was written in 1972 yeah there's just something about that that kind of pisses me off just a little bit so i think that's what i think that's at the end of this book i i turn i i i basically slammed it down i'm like damn it like that need for justice in everybody at some point it just like ticks you i'm just like you're like damn you like why does the why does the american system have to be this bad right like i don't know we're not American, but it's not. There are lots of problems with the Canadian justice system as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, I realize now I should have looked into what the response to it was kind of in the 70s versus now. You know, James Baldwin has kind of become like a really prolific author, and his theme is one that, like, obviously, like, especially this year has come up on a lot of lists of books to be read and stuff like that. So, so I did try to to read as much of his stuff as possible. Um, and yeah, like I said, like I, I had a hard time getting through this. Like I, I was like consistently kind of like, yeah, like getting upset or getting sad or like just outright crying while I was reading it. Um, 
something I wanted to touch on though is um, this, I guess, kind of goes in hand with what Jess too is saying about like how human the novel felt and and those like little moments of humanity. You know, because I've been reading a lot of James Baldwin, I kind of got this sense of what his voice is. There's a book that he wrote called Notes of a Native Son that is kind of, I guess, a memoir of his life, but it's basically a series of essays that he wrote over the course of his career. One of the things he touches on is um, the protest novel in America. You know, a number of novels written by either white people or black people or people of different colors that talk about the black condition and basically brings this stuff to light. He had like a very real criticism of those novels and um, I highlighted it to, to talk about it. Um, one of the novels he specifically talks about is Uncle Tom's Cabin. It was a novel that was supposed to talk about uh, the condition of Black people in, in America, but he kind of criticized it because it just kind of frames slavery and and racial injustice as this tragedy. And it is. It's, it's a horrible tragedy, but that's really all it says about this stuff. Um, and there are so many protest novels that do that. That's what he's saying is like, when, when all you're doing with your novel is just framing this tragedy, you're ignoring the humanity. You're ignoring the human people that this affected. And so one of the lines that he writes is, um, this is from Notes of a Native Son, but one, one thing he says is, the failure of the protest novel lies in its rejection of life, the human being, the denial of his beauty, dread, power, in its insistence that it is his categorization alone which is real and which cannot be transcended. You know, this idea that, oh, like you're in this terrible situation, that sucks. And he kind of wrote that all of these protest novels were just convincing Black people that this is the situation and there's nothing you could really, like, it kind of sucks. Beale Street is so the opposite of that. I mean, at its heart, it's about it's about trying to fight this injustice. But it's those human moments that really make this stand out. Like you talk about the Spanish restaurant and that's beautiful. But one of my favorite moments too is um, it's a moment when pretty early in the novel after Tish um, tells her mother that she's pregnant. Oh, yeah. um, uh, but it's that moment where they're all just kind of waiting for dinner to be ready. Her mother puts on like some music and then they start cooking and it's just this moment where they're just waiting for food to be ready and they're just listening to the music and sitting, you know, in their own spaces. And she says something about how, like, people have been doing this for generations, this, like, beautiful ritual of, like, waiting for food to be put on the table um, so that you can gather. I think one of the specific terms that he uses is um, the blurred human voices from the street out of this rage and a steady somehow triumphant sorrow my baby was slowly being formed like that specific line triumphant sorrow i just found that like so moving because it's like you know it's more than just a novel about how how terrible racial injustice in the united states is it's about how these people you know find the beauty in their life and it's about this like yeah like this triumphant sense of sorrow you feel horrible about what's happening to them but at the same time you feel this burgeoning need for them to fight back and yeah anyways there's um, there's a quote in here that i actually really do love and it's around the beginning of the novel it's when tish is talking to herself and it's just trouble is being alone 
And that quote alone um, nails so many different things because in the context, like the whole justice system is not going to help you out here. To, to know that you're lost or and you have no one else to rely on, that's what real trouble is. And it's like a human feeling. A good thing about this book, when, when it's either um, a monologue or it's a conversation, I found that it was easy for my brain to read this book. The way James Baldwin wrote it, it feels like directly translated from one person's brain into another. And I've rarely have that uh, benefit with books. I have to go back and reread lines quite a lot. Whereas this, I sat down and just read it uh, in two days and it was no problem whatsoever. It was so easy for my brain to fully understand and grasp what's going on. All the scenes are flawless. And yeah, this is something I would actually like, if like, if you're in school and you have to do a book report for like, maybe grade seven onward, like this is a really good book to use. There's some, there's some pretty heavy, like, uh, like content for, for a seven, uh, <laughs> for, for a 12 year old kid in this. Well, yeah, that's, I, I just imagine a 12 year old kid reading, just like, let me read you next for extra. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I remember some explicit sexual content. <laughs> I know there, I, I wasn't thinking about that. I was just thinking about how my brain was able to, yeah. I'll <laughs> No, but you know that that brings up a point. Um, that when Ashton suggested Beale Street, the only thing I had ever heard about this was a friend of mine, friend of ours, or Janelle. She explained to me one day about Black Love, and she talked about this book specifically. And I was only half listening; I didn't pick up a lot. I don't remember the conversation very well. And I'm not saying that to be a dick. It just happened a long <laughs> time ago. It was just a throwaway conversation, really. But I just the one takeaway from that conversation was it was about Black Love. Well, and and in my brain, I thought Black Love means like it's a like a really erotic novel. And so in a way, I kind of walked into this knowing that it was a sad novel, but it was also about Black Love. And then so as I was reading it, like this whole my preconceived notions kind of changed a lot. Like like when there was that explicit explicit uh, sex scenes, like it it didn't shock me because I knew that that was coming. I knew that that was likely going to be a part of the story. But the shocking part was, and I think this is what makes this book so good, it wasn't just about erotic, sexual, man, woman, romance. This book talks about like this love between uh, sisters, love between like every, like, you know what I mean? Like there's this whole community mm-hmm. and, and a part of the main story is a black family who, who love each other, right? At no point do you ever think to yourself, these guys don't love each other. And then so many times in the novel, one of the characters is falling. None of the, one of the characters is losing faith. And then another character jumps in and says, hey, you don't lose faith. This isn't like this is how we survive. Right. And then like it shows like the sex itself, like the the erotic part of this novel was wholly based on love. It wasn't just erotic for the sake of eroticism. Right. Uh, and then on top of that, like there's Ernestine and Tish had like beautiful sister scenes where they were like talking and laughing and they were like. They were like encouraging each other. And, and even like, like when Fawny shows up to talk to the family and says, we're going to get married. Right. And, and, and it, it started throughout all the book and they kind of, in a way, they kind of give the reader a breather. Uh, we're seeing parts of like the black experience that we would never be privy to unless we were able to read it in a book with all of those things combined with the entire scale of love this book shows off. And in that sense, I understood that it's about black love. It's about black love in, in like the truest sense. And I love that book because of it. Ashton. 
Yeah, like I said, like I think to me, what this book really um, stood out to me, like the major theme of this book was hope, trying to find hope in the most hopeless situation imaginable. Watching these characters, um, you know, struggle. Uh, some of them struggle to stay optimistic through this horrible, horrible situation, um, and then have, an, have any, another character kind of talk them off, try to talk them off the ledge, even though it's like, even though this does seems hopeless. Uh, it was really touching to watch to read that kind of a that kind of a story for a change i like i think for i would have never have thought to pick up this book uh unfortunately ever and i'm glad i'm, I'm glad i ended up picking it because it it like i said i think it's in, in my opinion i think it is the best book that we've read on this podcast it was incredibly touching and meaningful and relevant to today's issues so i'm incredibly happy that we uh put this on the list at the end of the day i'm very happy with this book and it spoke to me on a very personal level to talk about another i think another pretty key aspect of the book there was a pretty heavy theme i think on religion that kind of permeates the book i was interested to see what people thought about that aspect of it like like um like mrs hunt's like pretentious holier than thou attitude like uh like she is framed as as um dickish i can't think of a better <laughs> word than that. but in a way you could you could frame it in two ways you can make it as fair and as unfair and the thing is is for me personally i do have a real problem with like seeing how religions react with other people and so i came to it as a this seems like a fair representation of what would actually happen but somebody who is evangelical baptist or whatever they may say oh they're misrepresenting her right and so i i can't really speak for the other side like it's one of those things where i always see hypocrisy when i see things like uh like there's a key scene where where they bring them they invite them to the uh the river's house the, the river's family invites them to the river's house and they're talking they're having a good time they're trying to be good hosts but these these people come they show up with 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 something on their like a like a chip on their shoulder right and at some point not to bore you with the entire details actually it's a really amazing scene you should read it but at some point uh miss um Mrs. Hunt. Uh, oh yeah, sorry, Mrs. Hunt. Uh, at, at some point, she curses the, the the child in her womb, and it just and, and I'm like, I found that a fair representation because I constantly see people say things like, "Oh, we need to protect life. Life is the most important thing. Life is godly and stuff." But then every chance they get, they seemingly trample on life itself, and and I feel like that would have been a fair representation, and and it, it's a smaller part of the book like that. That is a theme. It's not an overriding theme, but I do feel that it's fairly, it's a fair representation for me personally. You know, if anybody else has a completely different point of view, I'd love to hear it. So I, I completely agree with Doug's um, thoughts on it. I felt that um, Mrs. Hunt felt like a very sadly realistic character. I don't personally know anybody like Mrs. Hunt, but I've met very self-righteous people that would, that I wouldn't put past them to say something as terrible as that, like the stuff that she said. And I, like, at no point did I never came off the page like, Oh, that's, that's pretty, that's a pretty critical scathing opinion of religion or whatever. In my opinion, I thought it felt like, like something that actually certain people are self-righteous like that. And they would think, think, think they're in the right way by saying that, but they absolutely are. <laughs> Like it's a reprehensible comment that they would have made. Uh, reading into James Baldwin's career a little bit, he wrote an essay called The Fire Next Time that 
um, I guess, like, summarizes his views on religion because he's had, like, a very, like, I guess, like, intense relationship with it because he grew up fairly religious. Um, his father was a minister. And then when he matured and went off to, like, college and got educated, he kind of fell away from that. He was still very firmly entrenched with it. Again, like I say, like, he has this first-person perspective of what happened in the 60s. So he also saw the like rise of the nation of Islam in Harlem at the time. He like met with Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X and got a first person perspective of what the nation of Islam stood for in the in the sixties. In both of those cases, like both in like his Christian childhood and like Islam in the sixties, like he he saw the dogma behind all of it. You know, he kind of like picked out the self-righteousness of of a lot of it you know and and i think like he frames it extremely well in this novel because i think that's why it comes off as realistic is because he's talking about something that he's lived through he kind of also looked at his father in in a similar light you know he had a very difficult relationship with his father for the same reason because his father had a very self-righteous approach to religion and and how he preached religion you know, I don't necessarily think Mrs. Hunt is a one-to-one representation of his father or any one particular person, but I think this is definitely like a character that he has experienced in real life. And there's some really beautiful and moving imagery in the way that he conveys this stuff. Because the the very first, like one of the very early scenes is when Tish and Fani are children and how they're getting to know each other is Fani takes Tish to um, his church. And Tish witnesses these people in this like frenzy, this like religious fervor. And it was in that moment where she looks at Fani and they realized that it was something like, you know, the people that love us are not here or like, or like the people that matter to us are not in this place. It's this beautiful kind of <laughs> summation of how like this is the like self-righteous dogmatic aspect of of religion that she rejects at a, at an early age. Like it's, uh, it's also, you know, you know, I, I kept thinking this must've been written fairly recently. So the book's written in 1972. It's, it's at the end of like uh, MLK died, you know, two years earlier, the New York crack epidemic is, is like just starting at this point. Right. And then on top of that, the AIDS epidemic is, is a decade later. Right. It's just this really terrible feeling where I felt that the person writing this book had would have had to have that historical knowledge of uh, crack is coming and, and AIDS and the mass incarceration, the war against drugs. You'd have to have all of those historical contexts to make this novel. But the saddest part about this novel is it's before all of those things happened. It was almost like it was like prophesying. Here's here's the problems we're facing today. Because mm-hmm. all of those things, like the crack epidemic happened, uh, it either killed, it basically killed or imprisoned an entire generation of young black people. And then because of needles, because of heroin, because of the drugs, because of all of that stuff, uh, AIDS really took a toll on those communities as well. Reagan came in and he he passed all of these war against drugs. Biden, your guys' hero, he came in, he passed <laughs> like, or, uh, he campaigned on like, um, violence, violence and criminal criminality act. I don't remember exactly what it's called. And all of those things led to mass incarceration. That was so close to what happened to Fani that it was like silly. And then on top of that, more recently after Rodney King, 
uh, where people finally had access to cameras. And then beyond today, where we all have cameras in our pockets, we're starting to see exactly how police officers interact with black with black Americans, right? And it's almost like it just it blows my mind that this book was written before all of this. It was like it was prophesying, hey, guys, let's pay attention to these issues today because tomorrow they will be bigger than ever. And ah, I don't know. Anyways, yeah. that's that's what I wanted to say. Another thing I really liked about this novel was the fact that at no point, like, um, I can't remember Victoria. her name. So, uh, like, like when she Victoria, got, yeah, yeah, Victoria, when she got uh, raped, at no point did the, the women or any of the people in the justice system say, you know, try, let's try to say that she wasn't raped. I, I love those scenes where she, where they just believed her. She said, "Oh, you know, I, I like, I know what a, no, a woman knows, and I know you're raped, but Fonny didn't do it, right?" And and I just. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, this book started with like moments of h- horrid interaction with humans and then like beautiful moments between people. And I, I don't know. I'm sorry. You know, to go back to what you said about how it does feel like it's ahead of its time. Like that's another reason why it is, you know, you think about like the Me Too movement didn't come about till like two years ago or three years ago or whatever. And then, you know, and all of a sudden we're now thinking in those terms, we're thinking in these terms of like, oh yeah, like we, we need to start believing women. This was 35, you know, 40 years ago that this story already kind of took that perspective. And I think that's also ahead of its time. Um, another thing I think is also the way that they represent masculinity in this book yeah. is, is severely ahead of its time, you know, like think specifically like Fani's relationship with Tish, I think is, is so beautiful and truly, like you said, based in love, but also his relationship with his father and his relationship with his uh, friend, Daniel Cardi, both of those like male relationships and, and love, love between two men. That's something that you don't see very often in books, you know, especially from a male author, like, especially considering that James Baldwin is a male author, like you don't see this, like, you know, genuine, like, um, representation of, of love between two men. That is another thing that I think was like really ahead of its time. The uh, one thing I really liked about the Daniel relationship is when he's talking about being in prison, he's talking about the horrors. But the thing is, is we so much tend to dehumanize criminals. Like I was just watching a documentary on the Yorkshire murder and uh, they they had the only reason they didn't catch the guys because they didn't care about prostitutes. That's essentially what it boiled down to. And and I feel like we do the same thing with criminals. But there's this whole scene where like Daniel's talking about, you know, uh, getting raped in prison and stuff like that. And so often in movies and stuff, we make it becomes the butt of the joke, like like rape in prison is funny or something. But they always framed it as it truly is, as just being like horrid. And they're talking about how Daniel was never ever gonna like, like forget what happened to him, forget what happened to him in prison and stuff. And they simply don't, especially when it comes to black people. Uh, I can't think of really any white examples either. Maybe they're just males in general, but they never, they never frame that in such a way that allows males to have that agency of like, I'm hurt. This is this hurts me. And it will continue to hurt me and it's horrid and there was no jokes involved. Right. Like it's a really like, uh, like uh, this is why I, I say that this is the best book we've read. So. Okay. Uh, our time for the book is running up. Does anyone want to add anything else? Did you, did you learn a lot about black love Ashton? Sure did. If you have, if anybody has any black love questions, you know, who to come to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think like 
already kind of covered a lot but if you don't consider yourself woke or if or if you're you're looking at like a list of like books that you need to read to be woke or whatever like you know because there was a lot of those going around this year uh, like this is probably the best place to start like i read a lot of those books i read a lot of a lot of nonfiction books about racial injustice in the united states and i read a lot of fiction as well but like i think out of all of them like this one stood out like head and shoulders and like and it was written 40 years ago so if you're looking at at where to start and where to educate yourself then i think you could i think this is definitely a good place to start Mm. yeah to get into the movie um it came out in 2018 was directed by barry jenkins follows the story of the book very closely there are maybe a few scenes that are left out uh, primarily in Tish and Fani's childhood isn't touched on in the movie as much, and the ending is slightly different. The movie has the more, I guess, hopeful ending, or, or like, and a slightly easier to swallow ending. In the book, Fani's father kills himself at the very end um, because he kind of, I guess, loses hope in the Lots fact that his son is. Yeah, he loses his job, um, and I guess like kind of loses hope in the fact that his son's ever going to be free. Um, So yeah, he winds up killing himself and they find out about it like in the last page of the book. And it's in the last page of the book that Tish goes into labor and it's really kind of a disturbing scene because it's, it's her going to labor and realizing that Fonny's not, Fonny's going to miss this. Um, And I think going back into this, like, dream of of what his freedom would look like yeah it was it was a a tough ending for the book um in the movie we see tish give birth and then her child grow up into adolescence and then her and her child visiting um fani in prison it's kind of this beautiful moment of this family you know surviving despite the situation that they're in. I absolutely love the movie. Um, I loved it when I first watched it. Um, It's absolutely gorgeous to look at. The cinematography is phenomenal. And the same with like the music. I feel like I didn't appreciate this the first time I watched it. Watching it again, the music is absolutely so beautiful. Performances are obviously like, you know, stellar. Regina King, um, who plays Tish's mom, is so good in this movie. And there's just such a visceral reaction to watching her. Yeah, I tremendously enjoyed the movie. Um, what does everyone else have to say? Yeah, I think it's a it's a really good um, adaption. Like it's like he said, it's pretty accurate other than like the ending and the fact that they like kind of cut out a lot of the childhood bits. Like the way he adapted it is pretty much exactly how I envisioned it reading the book not a single one of these characters are miscast or like it was pretty much exactly how i imagined every single one of them if you were to ask me which one i did i prefer the book or the movie it actually would be a really hard call for me they both get the same point across as effectively as the other i think so i really did enjoy the movie quite a bit this book and the movie are so close together. Even like the scenes that, like the the way they build the scenes chronologically uh, mirrors the, the book. It's almost like they had the book open, and as the scenes progressed, they simply wrote new scene and they added. Like that's how close the, the two are. The only major difference is the ending. And uh, I don't know how much we want to get into the ending right this second. I'm sure we'll talk about it, but I, I just wanted to talk about the cast to connect it with um, with what Ashton said. Once I knew I was reading this, I tried to stay away from anything about the novels. Uh, the sad thing is, is the book kind of showed me the two actors that that, that I knew would be there. 
uh, everybody else, I didn't know. I didn't know that uh, Regina King was was involved. Like, and so I didn't know who the who was going to play the mothers. I didn't know who was going to play the officer Bell. I didn't know who was going to play anybody. Right. When, when you're reading those books and they cast somebody and you're like, oh, damn, like, I hate that casting. Right. But at no point did I say, like, like, this doesn't match who I have in my head, but he's just as good. And that's what I found I was doing a lot. I have a cast list here up like has Diego Luna from uh, Dirty Dancing to Havana Nights. Like if, <laughs> you may be in other stuff. Pedro Pascal. Dave Franco, like, <laughs> it's like this strange, like, yeah, uh, yeah that the Dave Franco one was like, whoa, wait, what? Yeah, like, actually, like, he, he kind of threw me out a little bit because it was just yeah. like, hey, it's Dave Franco with a mustache. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Regina King was like the like she's the only person who I knew the name of, but everybody, m- most of the other older black actors I'd seen in other stuff, I just didn't know their names, right? I thought that they did an excellent job. The acting was like, like above and beyond, like it was. It just all around the movie was excellent, uh, but I disagree. I, I I would disagree with Ashton as I like the book a lot better, and and I, yeah, Jesse, um yeah um with like again I like the movie um in the book though um Sharon's part where she goes to Puerto Rico into the club it was described a bit more better in the book, um and that's kind of a part that I actually do enjoy because it's simply Sharon taking up this mantle of going into the unknown. And does like completely ridiculous uh, scenario to try and absolve her son-in-law's guilt, um, but when we get to that, it's kind of short in the movie, but it still had the same impact, especially when she touches Mrs. Rogers and she goes, she's reliving that moment again, and you can like just see like there's just so much um, anxiety. There's more anxiety in this movie, I think, because you're getting to see these human emotions play out. It's not just written on paper. But um, there's that part. Another part um, that's incredibly hard is where Daniel is talking with uh, Fani, and it's it's long and it's slow and it's um, it's quiet and it needed to be that way because he's suffering from PTSD from what he's gone through. You just gain such a feeling for poor Daniel here because you're like the way he like his facial expressions are in it and the way he his, he's talking. He might as well have been through that, right? Like the actor that played him conveyed that that horror so well. So you're you're feeling uncomfortable watching this. Um, and yeah, like Kelvin said, cinematography was great. There's mm-hmm. little tiny moments, like any time that they're looking at each other, there's just a little bit of happiness. They brighten up the 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 shot is brightened up more. There's color on screen. You can see the life in their face again. So you feel happy watching it. So it's. Yeah, um, I would say, though, um, I do like the book a little bit more just because some scenes are more greatly described. But the movie is just a spot on how, how an adaptation from book to movie should be done. Yeah, to, to, to kind of agree with you guys, I think the book probably is a little bit better for me just because of that description and because of how um, lyrical the prose is. And, and it's just it's extremely moving to like read through a lot of that description and it's hard to translate that into a movie you know but that goes back to the work of i think the cinematographer and to kind of convey so much in in those scenes where there is no dialogue and and yeah it's those scenes that are just are that are absolutely stellar and that just really stand out is the scenes where there's where nothing's being said you know like um when they first get the the loft um and they go down into the streets and they start celebrating absolutely gorgeous shot you know like i've seen i think a a lot of 
movies shot in New York and I've never seen a movie shot in New York that looks like that. It's like they got this like little pocket of the city that you hadn't seen before um, and you hadn't seen in this light before. Um, I think another aspect of the movie that I really liked, this happened a few times where they were like kind of um, character looking straight at the lens and I don't know what the shot would be called, but like, like down the barrel. Yeah, kind of. And yeah. so a lot of those shots and they're so powerful, powerful. And meaningful um, because like Barry Jenkins just kind of lets us sit with it, you know, like he, he doesn't cut away with it. He let his actors kind of emote in that moment and, and those scenes range in emotions. You know, you feel the love between Fanny and Tish, um, but you also feel that sense of desperation between them when they're looking at each other through the glass in, in prison. But he also does it for, for characters like Belle, you know? And you feel that, like, that uncomfortable feeling when you're looking at, at him. That's one of the, like, really powerful things that Barry Jenkins does, not just in this, but, like, also in Moonlight. He he really lets us sit with quiet moments in his movies. He makes them meaningful by just, like, taking it slow and letting his audience feel everything that's going on. And And so that's another aspect I think the movie did very well, is it handled the scenes with no dialogue very well. Now I can't wait for the WWE casting. That's it. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, is... Going back as a quick aside to Doug uh, uh, saying, oh, Diego Luna from Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. I'm surprised that's the one you, you went to, to be honest with you. Like, seeing that Diego Luna more recently was in Rogue One and played Cassian. <laughs> like, uh, and that was definitely my first thought. Between him and, obviously, Pedro Pascal, who played Mandalore, uh, Mando or... I think, actually I think that dirty was his intention. <laughs> is Diego Luna the lead in Dirty Dancing too? No, right? Yeah, he's he is. The, is he actually? I promise you, he's the lead. All right, there's, there's I'm no. I'm gonna watch this movie. <laughs> like, look, Ashton may be the uh, the black love expert here, but uh, <laughs> but I'm the Dirty Dancing Two Havana Nights expert in this group. All right. Okay. So, <laughs> sorry, I'm just trolling at this point. But I, okay, so I did want to refrain from talking about it, but uh, like. I actually had the complete opposite view of I thought that book ending was more hopeful than the than I, I liked the book ending more than the uh, from the movie ending because so so the book ending and I'm trying to remember now that I'm thinking about it it's like it's like it ends on like a poem or something where it's like cry cry he's, he's like right and, and then, uh, there's a baby crying so loud it means to wake the dead. But so, so it's a really ambiguous ending. And I think that's why I like it. It doesn't say Fawny got out. It doesn't say Fawny got this. It basically says, we don't know what happened, but life goes on. That's what I, that's what I took from it. But, mm-hmm. but the movie itself is like, it's like a hard, like he asked for parole and now he's in jail for, you know. Or he years. took a plea bargain. Or plea bar- yeah, pre- plea bargain. Which yeah. makes it even more, it makes you feel even more hopeless for him. And for, the, for a situation where it's like, yeah, they did everything they could and it still wasn't enough. And he still had to do, still had to serve like a plea, a plea sentence regardless. In a sense, you're right, does feel even more hopeless. Like, and the thing about an ambiguous ending though is it could have been a lot worse, but it also mm-hmm. could have been a lot better. So that's why I, that's why I liked the, the book ending. It was a lot more ambiguous. And I felt because of its ambiguity, I felt it was a lot more hopeful that being said, like, like it's not like I like was pissed off at either of the endings. I, I quite enjoyed it. And in fact, as I was watching the movie, because I had I literally finished the book and I'm like, well, I might as well watch the movie right now. 
started watching the movie and I kept thinking to myself in the back of my head, how are they going to like end it? Are they going to end it on a poem or something? But no, they're just, they ended it like they did where they, he, he sees his growing son and it, it, both were beautiful in, in a way, but I just liked the, the book ending a lot, a lot more. I thought it was more hopeful and the, uh, so yeah. 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 I guess you, the ending in the book can be interpreted that way. Just from what I got from it, just a loud ending like that with this baby crying and it's heading toward to see uh Fawny. I just got like such a, like a, like a loud ringing in my ears when I was reading that ending. Well, and I guess that the, the father does die in the book, right? Uh, Frank, yeah, Frank. Uh, Frank dies. So that's the sad part. But like at the same time, like they're kind of building to, he could get parole. Like it, it really shows like this tactic of like the American justice system. And you know what the sad thing is, is I, Anybody who knows me knows that I'm a big fan of true crime. I'm a big Forensic Files fan. Like, I've watched all of those episodes. And I know personally of – not not personally. Maybe I shouldn't say that because I don't know them personally. But I do know of examples of people who were charged with rape in the 70s. And these are all black men, by the way, who were charged with rape in the 70s, served – 40-year sentences, but were released in the mid-90s or early 2000s because of the advent of DNA, right? And I think another reason why I thought the ending of the movie was so sad was because uh, that only happened to men who decided to test the system and say, maybe I can beat this rap. They lose, they spend 25 years in prison, and then DNA exonerates them all of these years later, right? But they don't keep those, they don't keep those rape kits if someone goes with a plea deal, like as soon as they say, I did it, aggravated assault and rape. Okay, here's 25 years, but they get rid of all the evidence. They don't need it anymore. The person said that they they're guilty. Knowing that, like having that knowledge in the back of my head, I kind of thought I was like, oh, damn it. Like, there's no way that they'll ever be able to say you're exonerated. You never raped Victoria Rogers, right? That's what I took. And so that's a larger explanation as to why i think like i had this visceral reaction of once he said oh i took a plea deal i'm like damn you don't take a plea deal like don't you know that in like 25 years dna will will exonerate you from this yeah okay um so good times uh, wwe casting <laughs> does anyone else have anything to add about the movie though before we move on obviously I absolutely love the movie. And if anyone has not seen Moonlight, Barry Jenkins' other movie, I highly recommend you go watch it because he's he's kind of a phenomenal filmmaker. Like he really is. is. Okay. Um let's move on to our <laughs> to our uh, recur <laughs> our recurring segment where we uh try to find uh, a WWE cast um cast for this book. By the way, if I saw uh, an If Beale Street did, Could Talk produced by a WWE Studios, I am not watching that movie. Like, there's, there's no amount of money that would convince me to watch that movie. I'm the opposite. If I saw that, I'd be like, well, I guess I have no choice here. Like, I, I have to check this out. Well, John Cena is Officer Bell. Like, I think okay. he can. Yep. I, <laughs> I'm trying to think, like, the closest to be would be, like, Big Boss Man. You're just belt. you're literally just picking a cop <laughs> character to play. Well, that, a cop. Yeah, like that's it. <laughs> also, the big boss man is dead, but <laughs> yeah, they can yeah. they can Luke Skywalker him into it. <laughs> Good Lord, yeah, yeah, a they, digitally recreated big boss man. <laughs> oh God, 
<laughs> no, okay. Um, the worst part of this is, and this is a sad to say, there are a limited WWE uh, black performers. And so, like, basically, you'd have to, like, scrape the bottom of the barrel of all the black uh, black cast members to even, like, fill this. Get yeah, some Ron Simmons the in there for entire- Frank. I was gonna say Ron Simmons as yeah. as one of the as one of the dads. Um, yeah. You know the um, craziest part of that though is Ron Simmons would probably light it up as like one of the two dads, like like the like Frank or something like that. Yeah, for sure. No, he would Damn. kill it. <laughs> yeah, he's like his son, yeah. Your he drops a catchphrase. That's awful. Just um, cast the entire new day. Like I, I don't even know in what roles, but you, they're just peppered in throughout. See, well, Biggie is obviously <laughs> Daniel. So that's <laughs> yeah. Dan- Biggie would be a good Daniel, actually. That would make me so sad to see Biggie in that. <laughs> He, he'd light it you know the craziest thing is i think biggie probably like not joking has the acting chops to actually pull off an awesome daniel character you're just watching you'd be like damn biggie's lighting it up over there like <laughs> who are we cast as our leads guys yeah well titus is in there somewhere then the- <laughs> 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 it just feels like a race like i feel like i'm gonna get canceled if i start that if i start naming names like that's <laughs> also also i think the other thing too is the characters are so young how many young black wwe stars are there i think xavier woods would be a decent for um funny yeah, you, yeah you're right you're right true. but the uh, like like wh- like how many w- Black women knowing, are in. knowing WWE, they'd probably find a way to whitewash one of the roles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> like, um, they uh, just, well, they just cast Mandy Rose as Tish for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Like, how many black women are even in WWE? Like Naomi, Naomi, and uh, Sasha Banks and Medusa. Bianca Belair. What about Ember Moon? Bianca Ember Belair. Moon. Yeah. Bianca. Yeah. So I guess you could. You could fill fill the cast. I don't know how good the cast would be, but you could fill it. <laughs> like actually, you know, Sasha Banks did a pretty good job in the Mandalorian. Like, uh, I don't know how 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 well she could. Uh, how well carry. that translates into yeah. this extremely emotional um, <laughs> script. But yeah, she she could probably do it. We'll just throw in a fight scene for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a hand yeah. flamethrower. <laughs> the uh... <laughs> you cast as the uh, the lawyer Hayworth. You know, actually, I would see, I could see John Cena doing that role. I'd pick um, Dozovic. Oh well, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, Compl- <laughs> he's like, uh, he's like, it's <laughs> <laughs> like what? It's just like, hey, uh, it's like, are you gonna help get Fonny out? He's like, he's just like, what the hell? No, okay. But that's the that's the thing we never touched on was the casting for uh, Hayworth. Like in the book, they describe him as mid thirties, chubby with with balding hair. And in the movie, he's like, yeah, super hot guy from uh, whatever movie. I yeah, can't think of it. Yeah, super young looking guy that just like fresh out of college. Like he looked like he is like 20, 24 or something like that. I, I think that actually does make sense though. Like I can't fully recall the description of Haywood in the book. But like in the movie, it just makes sense because he would be really yeah. young, you know, like, and he is like kind of untested, yeah. you know, um, and that's why he's willing to take on this case. Obviously, in the 70s, not a lot of people were taking on these cases or defending these men. 
it does kind of make sense, I think, for for him to be kind of young. All right, uh, that pretty much wraps up um, our thoughts on uh, if Beale Street could talk. For our next episode, I have chosen uh, the Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, very excited for that. Um, thank you for joining us on this episode of Page and Screen. Special thanks, as always, to me and my friend for creating all the music you hear on this show. Check out more of their music by visiting meandmyfriend.bandcamp.com. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really like us, leave us a review and a rating. That would really help us out. If you'd like, you can connect with us on social media. We are at Page and Screen 1 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also search Page and Screen on YouTube where you can watch a video version of this show. We post regular updates of all the books we read and all the movies we watch, and we would love to hear your thoughts on all of them. We're not the only ones who can offer our unwarranted opinions, so chime in and join the conversation. And finally, we're still trying to get the word out about this show. We want to keep making it, and the more people that know about it and listen to it, the more it helps us out. So if you know a book nerd or a film geek in your life, please pass it on. We would love to reach them, and I'm sure they'd love to hear from us. Hey, maybe you know someone who's been advocating for the New Day to be taken seriously as legitimate actors. Until the next page and screen, thank you for listening.